1: Another weekend goes by and another MotoGP race with it as well, and this one wasn't without action either. Welcome along, this is indeed the Crash MotoGP podcast. The recording date is Monday, the twenty-first of March. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me, Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin. Coming up, a wet Indonesia-hosted MotoGP for the first time and just. About got underway, and it was a spectacular win for Miguel Oliveira in horrendous conditions. KTM looking good. Fabio Quartararo muscled his Yamaha onto the podium as well. But where were Honda and what about Mark Marquez? Another serious incident ruled him out of taking part in the race. We'll be discussing all of that and more, including Moto 2 and Moto3. But first, uh, just a few points of order before we dive into all the action. Um, We had a lot of messages about some potential sound issues. Thank you for them coming through. I've been informed they've been fixed by the higher-ups in our editing team. So apologies uh, for those, but um, should be all fixed as well. And also last week, I blame Keith and Pete for not picking me up on this. There was a question about Kenny Roberts and his knee down technique and in the moment I believe I actually said Kenny Rogers um now of course I meant Roberts the rider not the country music singer um which of course that was picked up on um so uh meant Roberts but Rogers was the thing that came out so <laughs> I blame you two for that we'll skip over it though I'm glad everyone picked up on it thank you for all the comments um Kenny Rogers on a motorbike I'd like to see that um, <laughs> right MotoGP action, you know what, Pete. Harry? We're in Indonesia. I, I, did, I,
0: I, I did actually hear it, Harry, but I thought I didn't. I thought, no, I'm not going to say nothing. You didn't say that, <laughs> <it>, surely. <laughs> you're
1: being too kind. You're it's being only too it, kind. When it came out, uh, age, well, I thought
0: he did say it.
1: He did say, he did say Kenny Rogers, he did, anyway, right, Roberts, um, thank you for the question that came in either way, MotoGP though in Indonesia, let's get through it, Uh, Keith, first time in Indonesia, Um, we spoke about it last week, worries about the trap, but it turned into an absolute deluge anyway with the wet weather, what were your taking away, what have you been taking away from uh, MotoGP's first visit to Indonesia, how do you think it all went?
0: Lombok I mean Mandalika at the end of the day it was one of those ones where we didn't really know until everybody got there this week what kind of condition everything was going to be in I mean 32 hours door to door from the UK here it's a long way away and that being that far away from Jakarta was always a question as well for me because Centaur was a you know we've had an Indonesian Grand Prix a long time ago so Centaur would have been the natural home I'd have thought for a for the Grand Prix. But of course, this new area, this new development that, that, that this is in the middle of um, was favoured by the local government, and the local authorities, and they spent a lot of money on it. We heard about the track breaking up and the like. Um, that is still an issue, but not quite as big an issue, perhaps, as it really, really could have been. We might have not had a MotoGP race if it had been as bad as it was just a few weeks ago, some five weeks ago. Uh, the weather. What can you say about the weather? You know, it's that time of the year. You know, we're at the 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 start of the of the of the difficult time where it gets really really hot and the rain starts to come and the like. Um, Mark Marquez, you mentioned Mark Marquez. <laughs> Bloody hell, warm up. I thought he decided to fly home early because honestly, that was a high side and a half. I mean, that kid is taking some beatings at the moment. I mean, I really really don't know which way this is all going to go. We we questioned whether. We might not see Mark again after after the eye injury, whether he'd be able to come back from that, whether it would repair itself in time for him to be able to race again. And now these kind of clouts, he's taken another concussion. You know, that's a very, very serious thing to have, as bad as it was. I mean, when he stood up from that, you held your breath. I mean, have you ever seen Mark Marquez look injured when he is injured? You know, like he staggered around in the middle of the road like he was literally punch drunk, which was... Really, really worrying. Anyway, the right thing was done. He was taken out of the out of the situation, flown home early. Mandalika seems to have been a success. Most of the people I know that when they got there, all the reports I was getting from on track side, they hated it. The journey, you know, the, the, the weather was so in, incredibly warm. The place wasn't really finished. I mean, we saw the best parts of it on TV, obviously, but it wasn't really finished. Not enough hotels nearby. But by the end of the week, they loved it. I mean, I've got people that, you know, I've changed their flights to stay out there longer because it is in a lovely part of the world. The people, and that's what makes an event like this, really, at the end of the day, the people that they're dealing with, the Indonesians, have been brilliant, have really looked after everybody really, really well. So from the human side of things, away from the racing, um, it seems to have been a massive, massive success. You get, when you get a Southeast Asian, Asia-Pacific, whatever it is, region, You've got the Indomitsu team winning the Moto2 race. Somkhet Chantra, a Thai rider. First Thai ever to win a Grand Prix. I mean, that has just lit the region. Buriram, they must be happy as hell over there in Thailand because at the end of the day, when we get to to Buriram, the Thais are going to come out in force. Uh, They're going to be there. The the place is going to be sold out. There is no doubt about it. So if you've got a ticket for Thailand right now and you are intending on going out there, get it done because you won't be able to get a hotel room it's going to be a nightmare from that point of view because they support their own um the win from miguel Oliveira, brilliant what's that his fourth win now ktm coming back um yamaha being there or thereabouts as well with quateraro looking so good i mean it, it was just one of those races I think what happens is whenever we predict something, it obviously isn't ever going to happen. <laughs> when you, me and Pete um, get down to making a prediction, forget it. It's going to be a complete waste of time. I My favourite part I of did it, though, pick up on the had to be the shaman, you get one point. It had to. <laughs> who got one point? You. You did. Had to be the shaman. That was my favourite part of it. The woman that... What they are is that they... they I mean, this is a, a major belief they have in, in that region... The shaman is hired in to move the clouds. So if you've got a wedding or a big event, they are hired. These are this is a serious thing, believe it or not. To us, it seems incredible. So you have got this shaman that's out there, and she's banging her pot and and sort of trying to get rid of the get rid of the weather, and unfortunately, absolutely slashed it down. So uh, so much for her credibility. I, I think her marketplace has just um, kind of took a bit of a dive. But then, of course, she, as is typical again for, for perhaps that part of the world, in that she was it stood in the rain in her bare feet on the start and finish line, banging her pot and waving her bits and pieces about. Um, and of course, the rain did stop. But then again, it was always going to, wasn't it? <laughs> because that's what happens in that kind of condition. So <laughs> make of that what you like. But uh, it turned into a good event, not quite a great event, but a good event, I think, for most people.
1: Yeah, the rain did stop in the end, didn't it? But it was uh, a reduced um, lap time for the the reduced amount of laps, I should say, for the all uh, oh, classes, I think, in the end, in particular MotoGP. Before we come on to the actual race action, Pete, I'll bring you in on this as well. Let's just talk about Mark Marquez and that huge incident before the race getting underway. Massive high side, as Keith brings up. And I want to bring in uh, a couple of points and a question from Johnny. Um, who has said, has Mark lost his mind? He couldn't seem to understand, I'm not fast, so he kept pushing as the crashes got worse. He might push himself into retirement or worse if he can't get his head around his current capability. How accurate do you think that sort of summation is? But also, on top of that, this was a test as well for MotoGP's new regulations about the rider concussion and how safe it is for them to get back on a bike. And it seems they, well, there couldn't really be any other option than not to allow Mark to race.
2: Exactly, yeah. I mean, the right decision was taken, as Keith says, you know, when you've got a guy staggering around, you, you can't then, when you, we've been told it's going to be stricter this year, you can't release him a, a couple of hours later. So yeah, right decision taken. Um, as far as Mark's accidents, I think the thing to, to step back to the start of the weekend, Honda really struggled with these modified Michelin tires. Now, we knew after the test, it's it's not a surprise that, that Michelin needed to change the tires. You know, that's what happens. You go to a track for the first time, you have a test, and then usually, usually you swap some tires. So, you know, you maybe the soft is too soft, which is what we were hearing. You know, people were saying, well, the soft what's, the soft compound rear probably won't be back. So they did their race simulations on the medium. So maybe, you know, maybe you swap the, the soft for a harder tire, that kind of thing. What what happened here is that uh, they modified all of the casings, and they went back to a casing they'd last used at Burry Room 2018. Um, The reason for that was the heat. It was just so hot. It's a fast track. They were getting blistering. So what you ended up with was basically all of the tires on the rear were unfamiliar, let's say, to the teams and the riders. And we've seen this sort of general trend of of the the tire construction getting softer. Um, It's just been the way that it's gone in recent years. And you've got Honda in this case. We're talking about Mark, so Honda have sort of finally cracked. Had to get the most out of this softer construction rear tire. It seems like their bike's working really well on it, from what we've seen in testing and Qatar and things like that. Now suddenly they have this this stiffer construction, and it just didn't it just didn't work with their bike. You know, maybe they if they had more time, they could have made it work. But the thing to remember is Mark. When Mark fell, he was on a new soft rear tire. So this is not like Mark was trying to use you know a hard tire or that he was trying to put a race distance on a soft if if you know the the analysis that we're all given after the sessions is right. It was about his third lap on a on a on a new soft rear tire Now the problem that the Hondas have been having was this rear locking as they called it going into the corners, and they weren't alone in that Joan Mir said, "Look, I had two or three incidents similar to Mark, you know so he said it." I, I had a similar thing. Um, So they weren't alone in that. But what we saw is that some teams, Ducati, KTM, seemed to really like this new tire. And then we saw Yamaha kind of say the same, at least with Quattrara. He matched his best lap time you know, at the test with the pole position and things like that. And then we saw, as we said, uh, Honda really struggled. The Suzuki's Aprilia seemed to be about the same. We didn't get to see the race, obviously, so we don't know what they would have done over race distance, but the riders sounded fairly happy Saturday evening. So. That was what happened. He just sort of shuffled the pack, if that makes sense. And the Honda guys just never really felt they were in a position where they could get this tire to work in a safe manner. And I think Mark, being Mark, he's never going to give up, is he? You know what he's like. He's going to keep pushing, and that's what happened. You know, he made clear, I need to. This is on Saturday night. I'll need to go on the attack. He was qualified. He qualified fifteenth. That would have been fourteenth because Morbidelli got devoted a place didn't he so but still he, his only chance was to really go on the attack from the start with the soft rear tire so you can imagine that mark clearly he was pushing perhaps Getting ready for the race uh, situation, we know Keith had explained in, in the preview of the event, narrow, clean line on this track. Overtaking was not going to be easy. So Mark's maybe, he's got that in his mind. He was pushing and clearly, you know, he got caught out in a spectacular way. And, uh, you know, just, he's obviously going to have further checks when he gets back to Spain. But, uh, you know, fortunately, he, he at least walked away.
0: What's worth bearing in mind, I think as well, lads, is that, that Mark Marquez... He rides a motorcycle really loose. I mean, we can't see physically where that bike is, is letting go. He will, have, he will have been riding it right on the edge already. He, w- he will have been close to a crash because that's how he rides every single corner anyway. That's how Mark Marquez rides it. In the past, he's always been able to save it. Even when, it's, even when you visually can see the thing tucking under or hanging out the back, Mark has been able to save you know, 90% of those in the past. We're in an era where Mark is becoming almost like a normal rider. And when it gets to that situation, he crashes just like a normal rider. So I think that there's a combination of things going on here. But most of these guys, anyway, to put a time in, those motorbikes are right on the very edge of adhesion, obviously, but right on the very edge. The things are moving already. Mark normally will ride like that, and he will save that every single time. We're just in an era at the moment where he can't. The bike isn't really his. Honda have changed it a little bit as well. Like you say, Michelin have, have made those changes, which don't suit him at the moment. Do you remember when we went from Bridgestone to uh, Michelin's? I went to the Sepang tests, um, the first Sepang test where all of the factories suddenly have Michelin tyres. And the the bias went from having an absolutely incredible front tyre and not such a good back tyre to the opposite way around with Michelin. It was a more of a balanced situation. You had never seen so many top riders crash in all your given days. Honestly, i would never seen such carnage. The amount of millions of pounds worth of damage that must have been done in that test until they dialed in what they needed for the Michelins. And Mark's really a bit in that position. You know, things have changed since he was top dog and he hasn't really caught up yet. And add that injury to him, only he knows how he feels in his head, how he sees things. And we've seen Mark before, he kind of closes that communication line down, doesn't he? He doesn't show... You know, in the past, he's not shown pain to people, even when he obviously clearly is in a he must be in a lot of pain. Um, He's one of these guys that shuts all that down. His team are quite tight as well. So you don't get that information coming out of the back door of the garages. You know, how's Mark? No one will say, yeah, he's absolutely fine. It's you won't get information. So we don't really know what's going on with Mark physically or mentally at this moment in time. His eyesight, is it absolutely perfect? You know, you just don't know these things. These are variables at the minute. that mark's got to get over. I mean, it will be terrible if we lose Mark Marquez from a from a competitor through injury. You know, but he can't go on beating himself up in this manner. He cannot continue to keep taking these heavy hits. As young as he, well, he isn't. <laughs> He's mid twenties, young, I suppose. It is still, but the old every year, it's it's cumulative. Every year you get. More and more injury climbing on top of an older body and before you know where you are you 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 can't perform at the level that you've been able to before i don't think we're there yet but it's early it's only the second round for god's sake and he's taken another big hit
2: probably just worth saying keith that also that that's kind of the nightmare accident where the traction control is of no use to you, is it? Because he, he hadn't got to the point where he was actually opening the throttle, so there's no electronics to help you out. It's that that situation where you're kind of relying on the tire sticking to the ground as you, as you go into the corner. And we probably should also say that Michelin, you know, they're, they're adamant that the, the choice they made with this tire was the right one. They point to the lap times, they point to the performance of the tire, and they believe that still it was the safest, but clearly, for the Honda riders and also Suzuki guys, they, they had a tough time on it. And I think in future, there'll, there'll certainly be a debate about whether, uh, let's say new tyres should be introduced without at least some sort of test beforehand for teams to just just get up to speed with them um, and, and be a bit more aware of what they've got.
0: I think that's absolutely critical. I think that it's wrong that riders should be, and teams should be expected to, especially on a no data track like this one, we've had you know one test which wasn't particularly successful, and and we're bang, we're straight into a race meeting. We've talked about it before. You're qualifying for qualifying. Free practice isn't a free practice. It's not a, a wobble around to go and see where everything goes. Free practice is gotta go as fast as you can to get in the top ten so you go through the Q two straight away. I mean you, you know, it's not it's not a simple task. There is not enough track time for these guys to get up to speed with stuff like data with you know safe options working your way through it. So I, I absolutely agree with that. That that you know, there should be test time. You know, even yeah. if it's the day before there should be time a proper free practice where it is like okay it's timed but it doesn't count towards anything come um friday's free practice and then saturday's qualifying agreed Pete.
1: these new uh well these changed rear compound tires as well affecting multiple drivers as you say Also affected the Pramac riders, um, but in two different ways. Zarco really enjoying it. Jorge Martin, not so much. And he crashed out. So zero points for Martin from the first two rounds. But teammate Zarco onto the podium behind Quartararo and Oliveira. Now, just to confirm how we were with our predictions, um, it is only Keith who gets the one point for having Quartararo on there. Um, Me and Pete. Nada. So uh, good ride from Zarco uh, to get back onto the podium. We'll get his campaign underway. Uh, Keith, what did you make of our podium with Quattararo sort of finding a bit more pace towards the end and managing to get back up into second?
0: Well, you're going to be annoyed with me now because I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed as mad with Zarco because I think he had the pace to win the race. I think that he just did not have that. When Quattararo came across everybody, once he got his late race pace, he just cut through them like a knife through butter. Just, you know, every opportunity he got, he got it up the inside. Zarco, for whatever reason, just seemed to be tentative, just didn't seem to have that commitment. Now, that's a harsh thing to say about a racer that's at that level at that pace. I know it is, but he just didn't look like he had that bit that you need to go and win the race when I think he had the bike to do it. From where I'm sat, 7,000 miles away, watching it on TV. Um, but that's the opinion I have, and I'm, I'm, and I just believe that Zarco should have found a better position, even though a podium was great. Personally,
2: I, I think he was. I think he was also a little bit disappointed that he, that it took him so long to get up to speed. Was I think how he how he saw it? He he looked at Jack Miller. You know, we don't know what Jack's like, but Jack instantly was on was on the pace, wasn't he in that race? And he had the early lead. Jack's problem came later in that he then couldn't go any quicker. He sort of reached his limit sooner. But for Zarko, it was you know he felt he gave up too much time and he, you know he should have. As he said he had the speed, but he gave up too much time getting up to that speed, and so that needs to be something that he sort of works on. But I mean, this is the GP22's first podium, isn't it? Believe it or not, I mean, who'd have thought we'd be saying this that after you know one podium out of out of six from the first two rounds, um, and of course the first of Pramak after Guidotti's their team manager is gone, so. You know, it's, it's good for them to be on the podium but say Jorge Martin, he got caught out it looked like he sort of aquaplaned on the, on the, the river the water um, the, the Michelin wet tyres we should say they didn't have this special casing so they were the normal, the normal wet tyres that they're kind of familiar with so, um, but for a lot of riders especially the rookies, I'm sure there's one rookie that we'll come on to later but they had very little experience even Jorge Martin of, of riding in the wet and so they were just caught out a bit just from that point of view,
0: some of them yeah, Martin's um, crash was, was unfortunate. That's one in them faceplant. You only have to have the slightest angle of lean when you go across a river that's dribbling across the track, which I think is what did for him. So unfortunate, really, for him.
1: It was unfortunate, but uh, good to see him walk away from that one as well, especially just how treacherous these conditions were, weren't they? Um, You've already spoken about just how sensational it was for Miguel Oliveira to take his first win of the season. I think, as he says, fourth uh, in his career. Um, This looks good for KTM, though. They're performing well here, and even teammate Brad Binder Pete saying eighth was like a win after he had his ride height malfunction, celebrating frantically as he crossed the line for eighth. Meanwhile, his teammate won. So a good day all round for KTM, who I after a, a bit of a disappointing start out in Qatar uh, made the most of the conditions uh, here in Indonesia.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, Brad was sort of mixed point of view. I mean, he said, look, if it had been a dry race, he probably wouldn't have been able to finish with the problem that he had with that ride height device. So, I mean, he was happy just to finish with the wet. Um, Oliveira, of course, he was asked, you know, is this the start of something big? And But as he said, look, what we've, got to, the, the, what we've got to get over at KTM is having more than just three or four great races a year and then being average for the others. He said, so he was a bit cautious. He's saying it's too early to say, You know, yes, they've had a rider on the podium at both opening rounds, but I think you can understand that they want to be sure that they've got that consistency and that they're going to be up there. It was a strange weekend, wasn't it, again, with the tyres with and things like that. So uh, I think you can understand Oliveira being a bit cautious, but either way, you know, fantastic to be to be winning after everything he went through. I mean, he he was what best of eleventh for the second half of last season. Didn't even finish in Qatar, and and yeah, who would have predicted the winners of the first two rounds would be Bastianini and Oliveira? I mean, you know. <laughs> when you say
0: it like that, yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, not know. us, clearly.
2: Well, clearly, yes.
0: <laughs> I tell you what, I'd, I'd quite like to have been at the Binder dinner at the end of the day when um, Brad bashed Darren out the way. Uh, on the last lap, that was pretty spectacular. Uh, Brad Binder giving Darren a little bit of his own treatment. Uh, but what a ride for Darren Binder. I mean, there's there's the big argument that from Moto3 directly into Moto, GP. And he rode that bike well in very tricky conditions. So Darren Binder, you know, showing his class a little bit there. Okay, Brad, you know, cost him two places on the final lap. But he was up in what? Was he eighth? I think he was in eighth place, wasn't he, Darren, at one point, uh, towards the end of the race before Brad came barging through and uh, lifted his brother up in the middle of a corner and uh, he lost a couple of places at that point. Um, So the Binders, gonna be interesting at dinner time, I would think when them two boys sat down.
1: Well, well, on 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 Darren Keith, we had a question come in who echoes what you just said. What a scintillating drive from the rookie from Moto T, uh, 3 to Moto GP. People questioning him so much, had such harsh criticism from the entire media, I think ourselves included in that as well. It's fair to say, but boy, uh, this man has something special about him to finish 10th after starting 23rd on the grid. Has he done enough? in that race alone do you think to sort of brush off those criticisms or was it just a bit of a fluke because of the crazy race that we ended up getting thanks to the rain
0: I'm not going to say it's a fluke with Darren Binder I've always said he's a talented rider I think where where his criticism comes from us and from most people is his lack of ability to be able to recognise um that sometimes you have to roll it just a little bit when you get into a corner. You can't just ride through people. Um, Basha Binder, he's, you know, the, the criticism he gets is for some times pinching the inch that isn't there. It's not about his talent. I think we all recognise Darren Binder has a huge talent. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, he's. It's always refreshing to see slightly old school style riders. In today's riding, in other words, someone who's prepared to stuff it up the inside, someone who's prepared to take a risk with, with a move that probably isn't on. Um, so, I mean, we all, we all sort of love Darren for that. Although I would think if you were riding with him on track, he'd be one of the most infuriating riders that you'd ever come across. You'd let the brake off into a corner. He'd let it off of, you know, for even longer. It would be one of them guys that, you know, if he's up the inside of you, then, then you've got a fight on your hands, which was why it was amusing for me to see Brad and him coming together in the last lap. Um, Undoubted talent, Darren. No is my answer to that question in that I don't think it's enough yet. He's got a long way to go. We've got a massively long season. Um, I think we'll be judging people's overall performances when we get towards the end of the season, not after the second round in tricky conditions. But good to see him up there and obviously underlining his obvious talent.
1: Oh no! Sorry, Actually, thought you were going to speak, Pete. I was watching your mouth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look at the next best rookie. I think Ralph Fernandez, what, seventeenth? I mean, and that's and they, they all had roughly the same amount of wet weather knowledge. Let's say, which is zero. Um, it's always one of these these arguments, isn't it? it? It rained at the Sepang test, as we've spoken about before. And you do wonder if some riders might have thought maybe if we'd have taken a bit more advantage of that, we'd have been in a better situation. Where you have no wet practice, and then suddenly you have a, a race situation. Um, so a lot of people went into this pretty much blind. Obviously the rookies, especially. And and Darren, he said he said from the outlap, he just couldn't believe the grip. I mean, we know that the, the 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 track is a grippy track. We saw that from the World Superbike event last November in the wet, and we know that the Michelin wet tyres are especially good. But that was basically it. He just felt. Even before the races started, he had loads of grips and he, grip and he just made the most of it and just seemed to be enjoying every minute of it. And as Keith says, you know, if there's a, if there's a battle going, you can be sure that there'll be a binder in the middle of it somewhere. So uh, yeah, a, a great job for him. And, and let's see what he can do. As say, early days, let's see what he can do from here.
0: I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll try and relay what it feels like when you've got a racetrack and a set of tyres and a setup that work together in the wet. It is the most incredible feeling. You can't believe what you can do with a bike in the wet when the whole thing works together really really well you just it is unbelievable i mean and it's almost shocking when you're on a bike and and you've got the kind of grip you're not expecting the bikes hanging on you're able to accelerate through it you're able to break through it and every lap you push your luck a little bit more because that's what it's all about you're pinching an inch every and binder is one of those guys that isn't shy of trying to you know some people get into a groove early on and that's their groove Binder's the kind of rider who will always push his luck, will always, and that is probably one of the reasons why we saw such a, a result for him, because he was prepared in in a track that was going from from very, very wet to, to sort of damp in most places by the end of it, there were puddles still there obviously, but very tricky conditions. And if you're feeling it, if you've got that feel and it's all coming to you, Binder's just the kind of boy to keep pushing, to keep trying to, to find that next bit. And from a rider perspective, it's a great feeling. It really is. A, it's actually, just talking this bull on the on on the podcast is sending the hairs on my arms now. <laughs> talking about it because you remember what it was like, and, and, it, and even at my age, I can still remember that feeling of when the bike and the track are coming to you, and you're making progress and making time. It's a great feeling. I can't believe that.
2: Get back then.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: another guy who had exactly the feeling that I think you're talking about, Keith, was, was Juan Mir, who started 17th, and he was up to, a, what, about oh. 7th or something by the end of the first lap. Now, he was saying exactly what you were saying. He was just, he was just beaming. He was like, I couldn't believe the grip. He said, my, my elbow's down in the corners. I'm saying, is it wet? You know, he just could not believe the amount of grip out there. And, and to make up the, that amount of places. So, yeah, I, I would say that he was feeling, as you've been describing there,
1: Incredible from uh, those uh, riders as well. We'll come back to MotoGP action in a minute. Let's move down to Moto2, shall we? Have a little chin wag about that. Pedro Acosta making the headlines for the wrong reasons in practice with a yellow flag fall. <laughs> Jake Dixon securing his first Moto2 poll, making the headlines for the right reasons. But then, come race day... It was Samkhiat Chantra who eased up from fourth on the grid to become the first Thai rider to win a world championship race. And there were explosions in the Hewen household, weren't there, Keith?
0: Yeah, we've uh, got a fair Thai connection, as you know, around here. Anyone at home that doesn't know that, uh, my wife's Thai, my family, my three of my daughters were obviously mixed heritage, we now have to say. For the politically correct in the UK, everywhere else we we can say whatever we like, but obviously here, and and they're very much into their heritage. And the fact of the matter is, is Somkit, he's he's always he's he's always been a good rider, and he's a great kid around the paddock. I mean, he really is. He's still only something like twenty-three years old, anyway. But but obviously, Thailand, like Indonesia, has a massive following of of MotoGP and all things brand and so on, and so. You know, he, he blasted onto the scene, if you remember, back as a wild card uh, some time ago. We'd never heard of him. Um, and all of a sudden, there he was. But uh, this weekend, it came together for him. I have to say that it was it was a bit like watching a Thai Sam Lowe's, you know, mega talent, but you're just wondering whether he's going to throw it at the scenery in a moment or two. And um, And he didn't. He kept it going. It was a quality ride. It really was a great ride. I looked at the lap charts afterwards to check on you know, the consistency of his timing and the like, and he got the job under control. So Sompiak Chantra, brilliant ride from him. Our family's happy. Half of Southeast Asia is going to be well and truly happy, and Buriram is going to be absolutely rammed come uh, <laughs> the later Thai Grand Prix in the year. Um, whether he can repeat that, whether this is the point now where that consistency... We've seen it before, haven't we, With with some Southeast Asian riders. Tricky conditions, you know, that hot, humid... You know, it's the kind of area that they've worked in for, for years and years in their life. But now we've got to work it out through through the rest of the year. I, I wish him luck. As far as Jake Dixon's concerned. Oh, it, it haunts me like it haunts him, I'm sure, when it comes to Le Mans, when he should have won in Le Mans in uh, difficult conditions. And it, he fell down last corner and didn't get what he should have got, what he deserved. And this weekend, really, he has been. He was a dominant force in the Mandalika, Jake, and he looked really good. I mean, the penalty didn't fit the crime. I mean, I will tell you what, you can watch that same bit of footage ten times and not see what he did wrong. You know, if he, if he went on another, if he went on ten more laps, he'd have done exactly the same thing and probably stayed on the bike. I mean, it just crap luck. But I, I mean, I wish Jake Dixon. He's a super talent, a super bloke and he's good for the uk and let's hope that he and, and sam can keep performing in the way that they are at the first couple of the grand prix because well, i mean jake dixon it can only be a matter of time before he wins a motor 2 race two first-time winners
2: isn't it that we've had this year in motor 2 talking about people due to win you've got to believe dixon connect those kind of guys are sort of pushing to become to keep that run going but yeah i mean it's i mean Chandra, amazing i mean he just looked so in control i mean we were hearing after the motor 2 race which was the last of the dry races of course shortened because of the track conditions that that some of the final corner they were starting to get holes in it and things like that which the MotoGP gp guys even felt in the wet so tricky tricky conditions it wasn't you know spots of rain i think were also already falling weren't they by the end of that motor 2 race so he Chancho had all that to deal with, all the pressure of, of, of leading for the first time and, and everything else and, and did a perfect job of it. So, yeah, I mean, and Sam Lowe's, you know, OK, he didn't get on the podium, but he's got solid points. We said it before in the preview show, didn't we? There's a bit of a vacuum in Moto2 this year. We've had two seasons where a lot of race winners have gone up to MotoGP and, and now we've got this sort of clean sheet almost haven't we and and we're seeing that with these first-time winners in these these opening rounds and then you've got Sam there with all this experience that if he can keep getting these results in you know he can and hopefully this wrist uh, tendonitis that seems to be still nagging him I mean it's obviously a worry but let's hope that they can get on top of that and that he can you know keep building keep building the season.
0: But talking of consistency it's vietti again isn't it i mean at the end of the day vietti now leads that championship and celestino vietti is looking very very good at the moment you know he's sort of calmed himself a little bit as well i mean he looks like a bit of a weapon but you know we move on you know argentina next up it's funny i always look forward to argentina I, I, there's a lot of people that i travel with that don't really like going to argentina and to the track i know it's it's a really difficult place to get to Got to fly into Buenos Aires, which is the longest flight. You know, it's like 14, 15 hours on a on a direct flight down to Buenos Aires. Um, and then you've got to fly two hours north to Tucumán. Um, but I always look forward to, to that. I think it might be because I'm a bit I'm a bit old school, really. And it is a bit 1980s there. Like, the, the city centre goes completely bonkers. Uh, and it's full of bonfires and, and barbecues and nutty people dancing through the night and the like. And the track is... You know it's tricky to get to the track in the mornings you know you, you because there's so many people traveling that way and it's it, it, it is a little bit basic i suppose um in its delivery on the spectator side of the camp but as far as the, the riders and everything is concerned it's, it's great so i think we're going to have a very interesting year that is for
1: sure god Help us with our predictions. Uh, Moto3 up next. Let's move on uh, to the third tier. Uh, Tate took his first ever pole position, joined by two rookies on the front row as well, including... The home hero, Mario Agin in third, but it was, I suppose, finally arriving, better late than never, for uh, the, a championship contention. I know it's in race two, but he didn't really seem to be there in race one. Dennis Foggia dominating to take his first win of the season. He found his way to the front, uh, I think it was lap four, and pulled away with ease, Pete, in the end, and uh, Guevara in second. So Foggia well, this was kind of what you'd expect from the runner-up last year.
2: That's right. Yeah, I guess this is what we were expecting for Qatar, but it, then he, he had the double penalties, didn't he? And it just all went downhill from, from there in, in Qatar. But so it's a bit of a, a, a belated start to the season. But yeah, I mean, it was a, an early breakaway and, and that was it. He was gone, wasn't he? And um stayed out of that battle behind. And then likewise, Guevara just sort of got a bit of breathing room in the last sort of lap or two and left that big group fighting, and, uh, you know, which kept everyone entertained to the end. So yeah. I mean, Foggia, he's got his season going now. We saw Mino, the round one winner, taken out by Sasaki. He's got a long lap penalty for Argentina for that sort of mistake, let's say. Um, But that's obviously hurt Mino's points and and helps Foggia, having scored badly in the first round and now got his win on board. So, yeah, I think uh, he he might be the start of something for Foggia. The others won't want to let him uh, build momentum, I think.
0: Talking at the start of something, Scott Ogden. I'll tell you what, looked good in qualifying, qualified ninth, third row of the grid. Michael Labatt, his Lab Vision Track um, racing team, brand new this year. And Scott Ogden, he's looked good and he carried it on. Okay, 13th, he scored points in a tough, tough class where everybody is quick on very similar motorcycles. I think Scott Ogden, you know, done a great job this weekend and... Uh, I think thirteenth. Okay, he'll be maybe disappointed with that because all races are disappointed with anything other than winning. But the fact of the matter was, it was a great performance from him in you know tricky conditions out there. There's no doubt about it. So keep an eye on Scott Ogden. He's uh, you know he might have been a good pick by Michael Laverty. He looks um, looks like he's pretty useful at the moment, and he doesn't seem to be overawed at all by the big GP bubble. You know he gets his head down. He's a real. He seems like a realistic kid. That's um, working hard towards his goal. But the qualifying ninth, third row, second round of the year, bodes well.
1: Good stuff from Alton uh, and Moto3. We'll uh, move back up to GP, And I, I wanted to pick up on just a couple of other things that... Uh, perhaps may have gone under the radar, I don't know, definitely not with you two but you spoke about the Suzuki uh, riders and especially Jay Amir really enjoying the grip out there but one person we haven't really spoken about so far this year, we spoke about his teammate Alicia Spargro putting in some great runs in the Aprilia but Mavic Rinales, <laughs> Hasn't really quite found his feet just yet with Aprilia, has he, Keith? How have you made his start to the season? He finished 16th in the end, 37 seconds off the lead in Indonesia.
0: Well, I think you've just said it really, haven't you? It's the equivalent of when you're going out in such high-class quality company and you have to switch to the second page on your monitor in the garage to find yourself. I mean, that's just like the most demoralising thing there is in the world. Anybody that hasn't raced um, in the corner of the garage, of course, is a monitor. Usually they only have one and, um, and, it, and it goes down to sort of 14th place or something in its um, timing capacity. And then you have to flick it onto the next page to find yourself because you're, you're off the pace that far. And it feels like that a bit with, with Maverick. I mean, you always have these false hopes, I think, with Aprilia to an extent. It always looks and with Maverick at the early part of the year. You know, Aprilia has looked really good. It's there or thereabouts. It's made improvements this year. Alacia Sparrow is is hanging on with it. He's gripping the, taking the opportunity. Maverick, he always looks good in pre-season testing. And then we get to the real stuff where you've got elbows out and bump and barge. If you don't qualify that well, you have got to have your elbows out. This is going to be, you need some thinking capacity here to, to be able to make these passes. I alluded to it earlier on with Zarco. Zarco, whether it was in his head or whether it was in the bike, only he will know because we can't tell from watching on TV. But he couldn't make the kind of moves he needed to make to get himself up front in the GP race. He looked like he had the pace to do it. I was disappointed because he didn't do it. Quattararo came across them all and cut his way through when it, when it was time. Might be that the Yamaha just did what he needed it to do a little bit better in those passing places and i think the same thing with maverick when he's in amongst everybody people are bullying him and pushing and shoving and you've got to take your opportunities as and when they fall we've talked about the track you know the lines on the track were you know slightly tricky anyway there was you know from testing there was only a meter wide line that obviously got a lot wider by the time we got to race day and a lot more bikes running on the track then we had the rain which was huge which in your head, you would think that you'd lose a bit of traction on the track. The track would have you know, washed the rubber out of it and made it a bit slipperier. But, of course, in reality, as you've just said a minute ago, the lights of Mir coming from something like 17th on the grid through to where he came through to in the end and feeling the grip. Maverick doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would be able to take that, that kind of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Momentum forward. He's not a Darren Binder who's going to risk it every inch. We talked about that earlier. Mir on the Suzuki it's a very confident motorbike and if he can feel the grip he can feel the momentum and get forward I just get the feeling that Maverick is still a little shy on on that kind of situation where a lot of bikes around you if conditions it's not really Maverick's sort of set of circumstances that are going to make him ride well I haven't written him off at all he's a fantastic rider Maverick Vinales a really good rider but he just seems to need too many boxes ticked before he's at his best. Definitely the early laps,
2: as you say, Keith, that from what Maverick was saying, he felt that he lost too much time. He lost something like 15 seconds in the first four laps. Something we haven't mentioned is a lot of riders were struggling with visibility. It was almost it was mud coming up. It was almost like that. You had riders wiping the visor with their hand, which Keith will explain, you never do. I mean, because once you do that, it's desperation, isn't it? It usually makes it worse. But they were that desperate, some of them. They couldn't see. The screens were, even Jack Miller said he was sort of peeking over the, over the screen and he was at the front. So it, there was a lot of riders that were sort of caught up Uh, let's say in the pack in those early laps and and struggling to sort of see where they were going Mir actually said he was following the white line I mean he couldn't see where he was going (laughs) he said see the line turn in or a red light from a bike in front and he'd follow it but it was a really difficult conditions early on with the the dust and the amount of water so but coming back to Maverick yeah he I mean he's 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 been saying things like he's he's struggling with a similar sort of problems to last year that he didn't have in testing it's strange He he was really happy in testing and then he's He's sort of gone back to this, some of these issues. He was happy after the race, believe it or not, on Sunday. He was saying it was his best day of the year on the Aprilia. He felt that he they made progress and things like that. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to see, won't we? I mean, it, it's you've got to deliver it, haven't you? And he's he's targeting sort of Hereth onwards. He wants to make the most use out of the concessions. So Aprilia can do this private testing, and I think he's he's really looking at that to try and get himself to make this step forward. But certainly the, the early laps, and he's got to qualify better, basically, as Keith was saying. He's either got to qualify better or he's got to stop losing time in these early laps.
0: Of course, the test didn't really do anything for anybody, did it, when you think about it? Certainly not for our predictions anyway, because um, <laughs> the difference between the test and the actual race weekend was so massive. Honda were nowhere. I mean, even Paul bargro who, like his brother Aleish, we know he can stick a lap in. Um, and couldn't do anything with it. So the the, the differences between the test and the actual reality of racing was just massive. Um, I think it comes back to that testing thing. I I think, did I ask um, Danny Aldridge and co about, yeah, I did, about concessions and stuff like that. I was always, always a little bit concerned about the fact that we had so little testing early on in the year and so many big decisions have to be made before Qatar regarding what you are gonna run for the rest of the year, what you are gonna be locked into For the rest of the year, Aprilia still have concessions, but no one else does. But I was a bit concerned that because we were coming off the back of a technical freeze, um, we'd only got a couple of tests, really. Okay, there were shakedown tests and stuff like that, rookie tests. But we'd only really got a a small amount of track time to make a decision on to to what specification motor that all the other riders other than Aprilia were going to have to run for the entire year. Um, And that was going to be locked in at Qatar. Which always seemed to be wrong to me. I always felt like it should be by the time we get to maybe round four. You know, so these early ones they could have. And I think from a spectator interest point of view, and from a from a a team point of view, you know, to be able to make decisions while they're racing and during free practice and bring another unit and the like, from a from a you know journalistic point of view, from a fans point of view, it would have been a much more interesting start to the year rather than seeing people like Honda perhaps in a bit of trouble and Yamaha with not the you know 10 mile an hour off the top end that they really need to find from somewhere if that you know that lock-in had been moved you know for, further into the start of the season it might have been a bit more of an interesting year not not that we're going to be short of things to be interested in of course but I don't know what you think Pete I don't know what everyone thinks at home I mean uh, let us know
2: and, and I think also Keith the point the reason it's sort of been made worse this year is is that one of those tests was Mandalika, as you said before. So if, if it had been even just two tests, okay, you could, as you're as you saying, have more testing but also when, when one of those tests is basically a tyre test I mean Paul Espagro who was probably the most outspoken with these problems he said look the, the test was a waste of time as far as the race weekend it had nothing nothing to do with the race weekend once you changed the tyres and everything else there was nothing they could carry across from the test to the to even the race weekend so I mean if that's the case how do you how do you carry anything into the whole season if you can't even carry it across to, to, the, to the specific race weekend <laughs> and you've got to make decisions on engines and everything else and I think I think that would you know, as you're saying, Keith, it would certainly increase the interest. It would give the factories a bit more time. We've got this situation with Ducati having three different engines, haven't we? Where they, they haven't really been able to pick exactly which of the 22 engines. So they've gone with a hybrid for the factory team, mixing parts from last year and this year and, and things like that. And you do wonder, you know, was that just a time thing? Because also, they made that decision. They've got to build the engines for Qatar, haven't they? Maybe if they'd have had more time, they could have put all of their riders on that hybrid engine. But to build all those engines and then get them to Qatar for that homologation cutoff, maybe that just wasn't possible. Maybe that explains why they've ended up with this kind of split situation. So, yeah, I think this—you know—it it, it doesn't need to be this rush, does there? If, you know, everything has to be done at Qatar. I think when you've got so little testing, and especially when one of the tests is really just a tire test at a new track, yeah, give, the, give them give them some more time to try things out. We all like to see changes on the bikes, don't we, and technical stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't see why they—you know—that should be seriously considered.
0: I think as well because we came off the back of a technical freeze because of the pandemic I think the fact was that you would have expected a bit of a logjam engineering wise to have been there so it would have seemed particularly this year I mean you can't think retrospectively of course because I don't want to criticize Dawn and the FIM or ERTA regarding any of this or the MSMA you know they've all got a hand in it they all must have been thinking something similar to what we're talking about and they decided against it otherwise I'm sure it would have been extended but it did seem, it does seem to have, 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 have mired certain certain factories. You know, it's, uh, it's something that I think that, that really technically, I think that it was too soon. The cutoff point at Qatar was, was too soon for me. And, I, and I'm fairly sure there are going to be a few people that think that.
1: And it is probably too soon as well. When you look at the uh, the championship standings to read into this, you bring up the idea of Ducati and how we thought at the start, you because know, with so many bikes they had on the grid this year, they'd be dominating only two Ducati riders who are in the top 10 of the championship standings. But it is Ineo Bassanini who leads with 30 points. And uh, I think the who's the second Ducati rider? It's Joanne Zarco now up into fifth. Um, but it's Bassanini, Binder, and Quattararo now the top three in the overall standings so uh, Uh, and
2: and Harry to be sorry but to be leading the world championship with 30 points out of out of 50 I mean 60% of the points available and you're leading the world championship I mean that I mean, last year, Zarko, I think he had 40 points. So, you know, and the year before that, Quattro had 100% of the points in the first two rounds. I mean, this is where we've gone in just the space of two years. I mean, amazing. I couldn't believe it. When you you looked at the championship standings and and Bastianini, he was 11th, wasn't he, in the race on Sunday and he's still leading the world championship. I mean, yeah, incredible really. (laughs)
1: It really sums up just how unpredictable uh, MotoGP and and how competitive it is this year. Um, Still only at the end of round two, though. We'll have another one. Uh, Not this weekend. Weekend off. So no predictions this weekend. Thankfully, we can have a reset and have a little bit of a think before we get back to it the following week when we go to Argentina. Uh, But we'll leave it there for now, gents. Thank you very much for your company. As ever, we will be back next week to look ahead to Round three of the MotoGP World Championship. In the meantime, though, make sure uh, you're tuned in as ever across across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And then we will be back with you for more next week. Get your questions in the meantime. Leave them in the comments section or tweet, Instagram, Facebook us. Just search uh, Crash MotoGP. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you right back here next week. Please stop sending me pictures of Kenny uh, Rogers and Kenny Roberts. I've uh, really dug myself a nice hole on that one so uh, hopefully we've cleared that one up but until next time, bye bye
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt Now imagine them getting even softer over time